when oil gets cheaper or demand falls, OPEC cuts, hardly doing the world a favor. That was the main news over the weekend. But on Friday, weak inflation numbers from the United States, including a lower consumer inflation expectation, but challenges everywhere, like a strong GDP for Canada. Can their central bank really stay on pause? European core inflation isn't slowing any. And what next for the RBA tomorrow and the RBNZ also this week? It's Monday, the 3rd of April, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. The US dollar, which was down half percent on Thursday, was up a third of one percent on Friday in this topsy-turvy world where no trend seems to last more than a day. So the Aussie dollar, for example, lost 0.4 percent on Friday, down to 66.85 US cents, but it was still up a bit on the week. And US stocks finished the week on the rise. The Nasdaq up 1.7 percent. It's actually up 4.6 percent over the month of March and up 16.8 percent over the first quarter of the year, whereas the Dow down a little over the month, but 1.3% on Friday, and uh, the S&P 500 up 1.4%, which is close to the gains it made over the whole of March, uh, and a gain of 7% over the first quarter. We saw much less progress in Europe, though. The Eurostoxx 50 was down 0.7% on Friday, uh, exactly the opposite direction to the United States, and just half percent uh, up over the month, whereas the FTSE 100 was down 4% in March and only marginally up on Friday. The ASX 200, incidentally, also lost almost 1.5% last month. And bond yields, big falls over the month, down 59 basis points with 20-year treasuries. They were down 8 on Friday, down to 3.47%. German 10-year bonds were down 46 basis points in March and down 8 on Friday. Aussie 10 years down 56 uh, over the month down to 3.29% on Friday and down another six basis points on futures since then. And oil pushing higher. Uh, Brent up 1.6% on Friday, just shy of $80 a barrel, a 1.7% increase in WTI. I think we can expect that's all going to go higher today. And uh, why? Well, let's kick off on that with NAB's Tapper Strickland. OPEC Plus. Well, they're meeting today. Uh, it was expected that they were going to announce no change, but they actually announced cuts. On Sunday, a day early, which was a surprise, the outcome and the timing to everybody. Almost 1.2 million barrels less each day from next month. Half a million of that coming from from Saudi Arabia. So uh, a surprise, and there's going to be repercussions to this, I would have thought. Uh, Good morning, Phil. Yes, that did come as a big surprise to markets and really came in uh, in the late hours of uh, Sunday Australia time. And... It does suggest that the oil producers were becoming more concerned about the global outlook and as a consequence, they've tried to shore up the oil price, which had been falling over the past couple of weeks. And that cut in supply will no doubt tighten up oil markets, which according to our commodities strategists were already tight, even though uh, the oil price had been trending lower over the past couple of months. Right. So, I mean, this is great, isn't it, for OPEC countries, because, you know, they managed to uh, step up their margins. Not so good for for everybody else, of course, and not so good for, uh, you know, attempts to try and bring down that headline inflation rate. Uh, No, definitely not. And uh, for any economists out there that were banking on um, those lower oil prices starting to feed through to headline and core inflation down the track, this suggests that uh, a bit of caution should be noted there, uh, and that OPEC has a very active interest in trying to manage the oil price at, say, between that kind of 80 to uh, $95 a barrel range. Yeah, which is a long way from that $60 price cap, uh, which is placed on transporting Russian oil, and uh, I mean, you could argue that actually makes Russian oil more attractive to buyers, couldn't you? But the EU is meeting this week, and the word is they're going to keep that cap uh, where it is on $60. Oh, definitely. 
Uh, and in fact, mentioning Russia from July, due to the extension of Russia's existing supply reductions, there's going to be about 1.6 million barrels a day less crude on the market than previously expected. Wow. All right. Well, uh, but maybe we don't need it if we get this massive slowdown happening, of course. Um, I mean, and the, we, we still have a lot of uncertainty, don't we? I mean, we're still seeing wages rising. Unemployment is remaining very low. You know, we, we, we're expecting now that credit conditions are going to be tighter because of what's been happening in the in the banking sector. The economic data is all pretty choppy, isn't it? So we are still second-guessing central banks uh, who are, you know, possibly just as confused as everybody else. So we don't really know how all this plays out, which is why markets have been so choppy. But we have had a bit of data. We've got quite a bit more this week as well. Do you think things are going to calm down a bit now? It's a very good question. I think things are going to still remain relatively volatile. Uh, and I think it's probably a little bit too soon to be assured that the uh, banking situation in the US has truly come down. Some interesting data that we did get on Friday uh, US time was uh, small bank deposit flows uh, in the US actually turned positive by $5.8 billion over the past week after the prior week saw an outflow of $196.4 billion. So that does perhaps suggest to you that the deposit of flight is starting to stabilize a little bit, but I think it's just too early to tell really. And uh, a number of Fed officials were talking about these kind of issues and were just noting that they're going to be very data dependent. Theoretically, credit conditions and lending conditions are likely to tighten on the back of this, and that could um, tighten up the situation in in terms of the economy and have flow-on impacts in terms of activity and inflation. Yeah, well, there we are. When I mean, the money goes out, it's got to go somewhere, hasn't it? It can't stay under the mattress. It's got to go back in somewhere. <laughs> Let's look at some of the data then. So uh, the uh, core PC deflator in the US on Friday, month on month, 0.3%, down from 0.5%. 0.4% was expected. So, you know, fingers crossed weakening inflation and that um, that certainly drove bond yields down a fair bit didn't it at the end of the week i oh, definitely you'd have to say that was the major driver for the decline in bond yields that we did see on friday it's an encouraging sign but when you look at the annualized rates whether it's the year on year or the three month annualized it's still way too high and looking at powers glamistat of core pc services including housing and uh, that was at 0.3 percent month on month and 4.6 percent year on year and indeed on the three month annualized was actually uh, 4.8 7%. So still, inflation is still too high, but it does suggest that inflation is no longer accelerating higher and uh, some stabilization is coming through. And then as that monetary tightening starts to have an impact, you'd likely see uh, inflation starting to, to, to tease off. We did get one Fed official commenting on those inflation figures. She said that um, that was broadly in line with what she was thinking. Um, so not really going to influence uh, Fed thinking, I, d- I don't think, here. But it does suggest that perhaps there's some signs of inflation repressures starting to ease. But you really wanted to see it in the data before you can bank on it. Well, we also saw on Friday, I mean, even though income is rising, spending was falling in the in the US. So that obviously is the sort of thing that the Fed would particularly like to see. Uh, definitely. And I think it still remains to be seen whether the level of activity that we're seeing right around the world, including in, in Australia from, from the consumer, can actually be sustained while getting inflation down. And uh, perhaps we do need to see uh, activity decline a little bit more. And I think people are starting to come around to that view that you probably do need to see a decline in activity in order to get inflation pressures down. But maybe it's not going to stay down for too long because US consumers, the Michigan Consumer Inflation Expectations Survey, their inflation expectation has fallen, hasn't it? So from 4.1% in February to 3.8% in March, which is the lowest since April 2021. 
so if that starts to fall, does that mean people start to gain a bit more confidence and they start to spend again? So actually they argue against themselves, if that's the case. I could be an encouraging sign um, with the one-year inflation expectation coming down, but the 5 to 10-year inflation expectation was still relatively steady at that kind of 2.9% level. Um, it it mm. remains to be seen how insulated the US consumer is now. You've seen those stats about rising credit card debts outstanding, rising consumer credit. Um, at the same time, we do know there is still a large stock of savings that is primarily held by the upper income quartiles, uh, both both in the US and, and Australia. So it still remains to be seen in terms of that, but it does look like uh, some of those households are starting to become a little bit more responsive to the um, interest rate increase that we have seen so far. Yeah, and what does the ECB do now? Because even though the the headline inflation rate on Friday went down substantially from 8.5% to 6.9%, the core rate is the one that the ECB is concerned about, and that ticked up a little to 5.7%. Yes, that's right. So it does suggest that inflationary pressures still remain relatively entrenched in the Eurozone, and that necessitates the ECB continuing to hike rates relatively aggressively. And while we're doing our tour of what banks are going to do next, what about the Bank of Canada then? Because interestingly, I mean, the expectation was that they were going to they were going to pause. Maybe they'd gone as far as they were going to go, but then on Friday, look, the U.S. dollar lost one and a half percent to the Canadian dollar uh, on Friday. Uh, even though the U.S. dollar was was up, uh, the Canadian dollar was up a little bit more, and that was because the Canadian GDP numbers uh, were were stronger than expected, which is sort of like good news, but also bad news, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. And uh, the Bank of Canada did say when they did pause um, that they said if the data turned out the other way, then they would re- recommence hiking. So I think that's the word of caution out there. And we'll talk about the RBA in, in a second. But for central banks that do start to pause, and if the data does turn the other way, particularly the inflation data, then they will ha- have to turn around and start hiking again. And uh, another surprise on Friday as well, China's PMI data, particularly for non-manufacturing, 58.2 for March. We were down at 41.6 in December. So that's quite a comeback, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And really, there's no doubting the strength of the rebound in the Chinese economy now. When you look at the non-manufacturing sector, which includes the services and construction sector, it's now at its highest level since May 2011. And the services sector just by itself is now at its highest level since March 2012. So it does suggest there's been a pretty sharp rebound in both the manufacturing and the non-manufacturing Sectors, so that should be broadly positive, and should also uh, should see China achieve that. You'd have to say fairly mild growth target of around five percent, which most people did expect uh, China to hit. Um, in terms of the property sector, some encouraging signs there. So, a private indicator of new home sales showed a second consecutive monthly gain in March, and there has been a lot of concerns around the Chinese housing market. So, that is one sign of positivity, or at least. Stabilization starting to emerge. But who yeah. benefits from a uh, growing China? Because we had uh, over the, because I mean, we know China has been out signing deals with, uh, you know, many new allies, and uh, Brazil seems to be the latest. So the Brazilian government saying over the weekend that they've signed this trade deal with China. And they're going to be trading in their own currencies rather than using the US dollar as a, an intermediary, which China seems to be doing more and more of. So over time, that's, I mean, that's going to hurt the US dollar if that keeps on happening. If we, if we see less. Uh, international trade that's done in the US dollar? Uh, yes, over, over time. But I think that's the key caveat there is h- how long are we talking about to have a significant impact in terms of US dollar denominated tra- trade flows? Um, it's likely to take uh, uh, many decades for that to occur. And really what you need uh, in order to get greater use of the, of the Chinese currency is more 
assets denominated in uh, yuan. So uh, all those um, trade flows um, have to be invested in something. Um, and at the end of the day, there's not too many um, uh, assets denominated in yuan for those flows to go into. So until that does occur, it's going to take us some time uh, for the yuan to displace the US dollar. Right. Now, uh, the RBA tomorrow. Uh, NAB is expecting a rate hike. The markets are less convinced. We've talked about that. Uh, has anything changed? Uh, no. So we still think that the RBA will hike rates by 25 base points on Tuesday, but we do acknowledge it's a fairly uh, line ball decision with the RBA having explicitly signaled that they would reconsider the case for a pause uh, at the last uh, RBA meeting. And markets, as you're noting, for only price about a 30% chance of a rate hike on, on Tuesday. Um Analysts and economists are a little bit closer. So uh, uh, 11 out of 27 analysts in the Bloomberg survey do pick a hike. And for us, it's really the data flow still justifies the RBA need, needing to hike further. You had uh, business conditions out of our own now business survey really, really strong. You had the price indicators out of the survey uh, still very elevated. And you had a very strong rebound in employment. And the unemployment rate is at 3.5%. So it does suggest that probably too early to pause. And you probably do need to put at least another one into the pipeline. Um, if the RBA do, do, does pause, then uh, we think that they'll probably go again in, in May. We are seeing a little less uh, credit growth, aren't we? So private sector credit growth is slowing. Uh, the same for, for business credit. Uh, yes, yes. So you're starting to see the monetary tightening starting to have an effect on the economy. But we're not really seeing it having too much of an effect. It's actually on inflation, which is a key uh, variable for the RBA. And we do think that the level of rates has to be a little bit higher in order to get more downward pressure on inflation. And if the RBA doesn't hike, then they're probably going to have to hike uh, at another meeting in order to put some more downward pressure on inflation. Well, we'll see what it does with home loans and uh, and building approvals later on today, but we can sort of hazard a guess at the direction, can't we? Uh, What about um, uh, the news over the weekend of the Aston by-election, which was a big loss for the Liberals? Dutton's suburban dream becomes a Liberal nightmare, is uh, Philip Curry's piece in the AFR today. And of course, you know, we could see it all repeated. If if Scott Morrison resigns, there's going to be another uh, by-election pretty soon as well in the the Shire. So, I mean, is there any uh, economic consequences from this? Uh, for, for a Labour government that's increasingly unchallenged? Well, I think that's the key point there is a Labour government that is increasingly unchallenged. And for markets, there have been a few different policy initiatives that um, you'd have to say people have become a little bit hesitant upon. And the two key ones really is what's going on in the energy sector, particularly the energy price caps. And this suggests at least amongst the everyday punter, um, there's not too much of a hit from what the government is doing in that sector. So from an industry point of view, should you be expecting too much change in terms of the government's way of doing things? Uh, And then the second one there is the um, discussion around the minimum wage. And this is quite important for the RBA outlook as well. Um, The government has hinted uh, at supporting another strong rise in the minimum and award award wages. Uh, And if you recall last year, uh, that increased between 4.6 to 5.2%. So if you had another strong increase similar to that, then that would continue to put pressure on the RBA to lift rates. And RBA Governor Lowe has been on the record before saying wages growth around 35 to 4% is probably the upper bound in terms of what would be consistent with getting inflation back down to 2 to 3%. So um, if you got an award or minimum wage increase uh, greater than, say, uh, 4.5 to 5%, 
mm. then you're probably talking about a, a higher level of rates as well. So in the UK, from the 1st of April, the minimum wage has gone up almost 10%, I think 9.7 or 9.8%. Uh, so <laughs> see what impact that has on inflation. Look, in New Zealand, uh, where consumer confidence fell from 79.8 down to 77.7, uh, the RBNZ is still expected to raise rates this week, even though we've seen this fall in confidence, which you would, would mean, presumably, consumers will be spending less. But still, they're determined to crack on. Oh, definitely. And the contrast between uh, the RBA versus the RBNZ and even the US Fed uh, is, is quite stark here. Um, so uh, the I think markets are pricing probably about 90% chance of a 25 basis point hike on Wednesday here. And the New Zealand Central Bank has been very focused on the fight against inflation. While you're starting to see that impact on confidence and activity in some respect, the inflation picture just remains very elevated in New Zealand. Reasonably quiet today. We get the ISM manufacturing number for the US and the Caging manufacturing PMI for China. But of course, this is uh, US pay, uh, payrolls week, isn't it? Normally on a Friday. This Friday is Good Friday. Are they still still releasing it on Friday? Yes, the US government still works on, on Good Friday. But amazingly, uh, stock and bond markets actually going to be closed. So we will get the data on Friday. But to analyse any market no we're going to have to wait till the following week uh, for that. Till the Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, the key things that um, markets will be looking at uh, is the average hourly earnings, which last month dipped down to 0.2% month to month. And uh, consensus expects it to tick back up to 0.3. And um, headline payrolls growth expect to be about 240,000. Right, a bit to squeeze into a short week, isn't it? Uh, we will talk again very soon. Thanks, Tapas. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. Alrighty, uh, back tomorrow morning for RBA Day. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening in.